This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tracy literally felt the crime. She literally felt the rapes. She felt the whole death experience that Tilly Smith endured. I think Tilly's spirit is restless. I don't think she haunts the college in a bad way. She's not an evil spirit. But, you know, she was murdered. Fifty miles west of New York City, in the rolling hills of New Jersey's Lehigh Valley, rests Hackettstown. Peppered with dairy farms and stately Victorian mansions, it has a gentility that conceals a darker, more chilling character. Since its founding in 1853, Hackettstown has had more than its fair share of hauntings. And one of the most notorious of these restless spirits is Tilly Smith, an 18-year-old girl who was brutally murdered in April of 1886. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Tilly's Last Walk. In early 2002, audio engineer and published paranormal investigator David Roundtree moves to Hackettstown, New Jersey, where he's thrilled to learn that it's a town filled with ghostly activity the perfect place to pursue his fascination with the other world. There was a person that lived near me that had the New Jersey Ghost Hunting Society, which was like the biggest ghost hunting society in New Jersey at the time, and it was one of the first ones. I learned about locations, places where there was noted activity, and um, that's when I formed Spirit Lab, which was the laboratory that I operated in Hackettstown. I mean, I've done everything from graveyards to insane asylums to hospitals to old cranky mansions that are about to fall down. Literally hundreds. In the, in the whole Hackettstown area, there were about 15 Victorian homes that I investigated over a five-year period and pretty much determined there was activity in all of them. At the center of the activity is the old Union Cemetery, with grave sites dating back to the Revolutionary War. The thing that's so sad about the cemetery is, is there's about 125 gravestones surviving today, but ground penetrating radars identified over 2,000 graves. So there are a lot of unmarked graves in that cemetery. Most of the markers are small and worn down by the elements, but there's one large, well-preserved granite gravestone atop the highest spot of the cemetery. It's been paid for by the village of Hackettstown and depicts a woman dressed like a Roman goddess lifting a wreath over the words, she died in defense of her honor. The date is April 8, 1886. The name chiseled into the stone is Tilly Smith, 
and according to residents, Tilly haunts the streets of Hackettstown to this day. She was often walking, they would see her walking along the road dressed in white, which is what her dress was, along the roads, like between the Union Cemetery and actual Centenary College, which is in the center of town. Many have also seen her walking among the oak trees on the college grounds or floating in the hallways of the dorms. Her favorite haunting place seems to be backstage in the school's theater. But what makes her case particularly compelling is that not only has her ghostly image been spotted for more than 100 years, but her murder remains unsolved. This story begins in April 1886, when Tilly Smith, a local 18-year-old, is hard at work in the college kitchen. Her real name was Matilda. Tilly was like her nickname because she was a scullery maid in the kitchen there at the college, which means she was a gopher. She did everything. She peeled potatoes. She went and got stuff out of the cold boxes. She was basically a helper in the kitchen and probably did dishes as well and everything else. And she was staying in the main administration building of the college itself. On the evening of April 8th, Tilly and a friend are having a lively night out. The two young women have gone to a show at the local theater and then decide to end the night dancing at Shields Hall, the hot spot of Hackettstown. She had gone out that night to go dancing because ballroom dancing was a big thing back in those days and everybody did it. That was their night on the town was to go to the dance hall and dance and they would have some refreshments there or whatever and then walk back. According to reports, Tilly spends a good amount of time at the dance hall with a traveling shoe salesman named Charles Munnick. But around 10 p.m., she needs to get home. The curfew at the college where she's living is very strict. The doors will be shut at 10, and she doesn't want to find herself locked out for the night. She had been dancing with the traveling salesman off and on. She was dancing with a lot of young men at the dance hall. But when she got ready to go, he volunteered to escort her back to Centenary before he went back to his room at the American house. And the walk back is about five blocks, maybe. So it's not a long walk. And it's right through the center of town. The traveling salesman escorted her to the front gate of Centenary College, which was open. And that's where they departed. She then literally had to walk in and then walk around the building to the back of the building to enter into the back. By the time Tilly arrives, it's past 10, and the kitchen door, which she normally uses to get in at night, has been locked by the janitor, a 29-year-old man named James Titus. So she had to wake up James Titus to let her in. And she did that by pushing the, the door buzzer at the back, the delivery buzzer at the back. And he got up and supposedly let her in. The next day, in the early morning hours of April 9th, Mr. J.G. White is walking his dog on the outer grounds of the college. Suddenly, his dog begins to bark wildly. A few feet ahead is the body of Tilly Smith. She's been brutally beaten and raped. She was located laying down adjacent to the carriage house. It was probably about 
250 feet from the back door of the building. The cause of death was listed as strangulation, and they think that she was strangled by the sash that was around her neck. When police arrive, they observe drag marks around the body, as if Tilly was abducted from the back door of the building and taken to a nearby barn where she was murdered. Tilly's killer or killers then dumped her body next to a fence in plain sight of the service road. He probably drug her and she probably fought all the way. So I imagine he had his hands full because he also had to get over a picket fence because she was found on the other side of it where the carriage house was, where they stored the horses and the carriages for transportation. Authorities immediately look at the last person known to have seen Tilly alive, the traveling shoe salesman, Charles Munnick. They questioned him shortly after they found the body and initially they were interested in him, but for some reason that didn't last very long. And he was able to go about his business shortly after that on the same day. The murder of Tilly Smith shocks Victorian Hackettstown, and the story quickly becomes a national sensation, followed closely by major newspapers in New York City, Trenton, and Philadelphia. The police are at a loss, and pressure from the press and the local government intensifies. This is a critical election season, and political careers hang in the balance. Under pressure, police announce the arrest of a prime suspect, James Titus, the janitor at the college who opened the door for Tilly the night she was murdered. I noticed that the records were very one-sided. It was like, from the get-go, it was that James Titus was guilty of murder. And the more I looked into it, the more I found that it was really no physical evidence linking him to the crime. He had no bruises on him. He had no defensive wounds on him. He had nothing to indicate he was in any kind of struggle. He just had no markings. And you can bet Tilly put up a fight because her fingernails were broken. I mean, there was all sorts of things about the body that she had fought hard for her life. She had struggled. And uh, he had no marks on him or anything. It just didn't make any sense. The trial of James Titus begins on September 28, 1886. Nearly 100 subpoenas are issued, and almost 60 witnesses testify. As the trial proceeds, Titus's character is attacked in the headlines, and Tilly's reputation swings wildly from innocent young woman to local harlot who got what was coming to her. The evidence against Titus is entirely circumstantial, yet James Titus is convicted and sentenced to hang for the brutal death of Tilly Smith. This was literally literally a kangaroo court and a railroad job from the get-go. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Titus escapes the gallows by finally confessing to the crime months after his conviction. He confessed because he was beaten almost to death by the law enforcement officers that held him. I mean, you'd confess too if somebody was beating the hell out of you. I mean, there reached a point where he just gave up, you know, it's like, leave me alone, quit hitting me, you know, and he confessed to it. However, there was never any evidence linking him to the crime. There was never any evidence even suggesting him. I knew that wasn't the answer because the guy got out of prison after he served his time, came back to Hackettstown and lived on a Bentfully, had no criminal record prior, none afterwards. And all of the neighbors that he had and his friends knew he didn't do it either. It was the weirdest thing ever. And he came out and lived on another 20 years before he died in Hackettstown. He's buried in the cemetery, in Union Cemetery. Yards away from James Titus's headstone stands the headstone of Tilly Smith, who, since her murder, is believed to be haunting Hackettstown, unable to rest in peace. Could Tilly's spirit be restless because James Titus was innocent and her real killer has never been identified? David Roundtree is drawn to the story and decides to investigate the ghost of Tilly Smith, and he brings in a fellow paranormal investigator to assist him. My name is Tracy Ray. I guess everybody considers me a psychic medium empath. I just consider me as someone that is very spiritual intuitive. Tracy claims the ability to go into an altered state and can hear and sometimes see spirits that have passed on. It's an ability she's lived with since her first remarkable encounter with a spirit when she was a young girl. At six years old, I saw my grandfather, which I never knew. He died five years before I was born. He came to me at my grandmother's house and he tapped me on the shoulder and he told me, Tracy, my name is Jesse. And a book fell. I turned around and put it back. And when I turned back around, he was gone. I ran and told my grandmother what had happened. And she said, I'm going to tell you a story. She said, I was married to a man named Jesse and he died five years before you were born. And he died in this bedroom. Tracy had seen the ghost of her grandfather. Her grandmother cautioned her to keep her ability to see dead people to herself for fear that Tracy would be ridiculed. And throughout her life, Tracy kept that secret, even though she continued to have other encounters with ghostly spirits. But decades later, Tracy decides to explore her talents and attends a paranormal conference in Texas where she meets David Roundtree. Me meeting David I knew was for a reason. And three months later, I found out what that reason was. She wanted to get involved in like law enforcement cases to try to help solve cold murders. 
And I said, you know, why don't you work with me on the Tilly Smith case? Because I said, that's kind of a cold case because we don't know for sure who really did kill her. I said, there's all sorts of conflicting information. And I said, we're pretty sure that the person that did time for it didn't. So we need to figure out, you know, who did. Why don't you work on that? I didn't know nothing about her. Nothing at all. I never even heard David talk about her until the night that he called me. On the night David begins his investigation, Tracy is at home in Texas. David calls her from New Jersey as he's standing by the Centenary College building where Tilly Smith was last seen. He asks Tracy to help him locate the kitchen door that Tilly entered the night she died, because the building that stands today is different than the one where Tilly lived in 1886. A little over 10 years after Tilly's murder, the original building caught fire on Halloween night. Completely burnt to the ground, destroying the original building altogether. So the current building was built around 1901, and that's the building that's standing there today. So we had a building in the same footprint as the old building, but designed somewhat differently. So I had to figure out where the original kitchen physically was and where that door physically was to try to put together the scenario of where happened and what happened, when happened, located where. And in order to do that, I had to reach out and I thought, what a great test for Tracy because I can test her ability to remote see and to remote read as well as possibly get helpful information to locate where the door originally was and where everything originally happened. And that's when I called her. I just asked her out of the blue. I said, I'm standing in an area and I basically described where I was standing. And I said, this is approximately where the kitchen was. I need to find where the back door was. I was seeing these visions. I was seeing the place where she was taken from. I was seeing a room and I told him where some windows was and he was arguing with me. He's like, there's no windows here. I said, I swear I see windows. There's gotta be windows there. She was telling me, you know, the color of the walls, what kind of wallpaper was on it, where things were located. And then finally she got to where the door was. And there was a big door there, and then she was taken from that door. Tracy's description of the kitchen is incredibly vivid and detailed, but David can't be sure if it's just her imagination or if she's really seeing the building from 1886. After we got off the phone, he called me and stated that he needed to get the floor plans of the college the way it used to be. And I said, what do you mean it used to be? He said, well, it burned down. I said, oh, I said, well, maybe that's what I'm seeing. I eventually found the existing building blueprints at the library. There was no drawing, but there was a description of the old building. And there was an old picture of it, a photograph in the historical society, several photographs of it that I was able to use to ascertain distances on where the door was located on the property. So. I was able to sort of piece together the layout of the building based on the description, and she was correct. I mean, as near as I could ascertain from existing records and people's testimony to me, she was very close, if not dead on. Months go by before David reaches back out to Tracy. 
this time with a new and exciting proposition. David has been invited by one of the college professors to be part of a TV documentary investigating Tilly Smith, and he asks Tracy to join the team. I wanted her to go with no information other than what she already knew. In other words, I didn't tell her anything. I let her tell me things. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. The plan is for Tracy and David to follow Tilly's final walk, the path Tilly took the night she was killed. They start at the spot where Shields Hall once stood, where Tilly danced with Charles Munnick, the shoe salesman who walked her home that night. When I did the final walk, I was scared the whole time walking back. I felt the way that she felt. She was aggravated at one point. She was scared. As she walks, Tracy starts to psychically pick up details about what happened to Tilly that night. Tilly walked from the dance hall down to where she would turn, which was Church Street, to go to the university. And it was up near the beginning of Church Street where Tracy, who was getting a lot of information, picked up on the the actual confrontation taking place. Tracy says that Tilly and Charles came face to face with Tilly's very jealous boyfriend and two other men. He followed her. He was stalking her and waiting for her. And the traveling salesman had to physically run them off to get them to leave them alone. The traveling salesman escorted her from the point of the confrontation to the front gate of Centenary College. As the events of that night play out in her mind, Tracy gets an impression about who Tilly's killer may have been. She felt that Tilly had been killed by a boyfriend of some kind and that he had help. He had two other men. I saw the men in the barn waiting. And I don't know why the other two men were there because they did nothing, really. According to Tracy, later that night, after everyone else was asleep, Tilly came back down to the kitchen to make a cup of tea. The boyfriend was standing by the window. And he saw her. He saw her throw something out of the kitchen door. And that's when he went toward her. She picked up that she felt like it was her boyfriend that did the killing. She didn't have a name yet. But that was when she first said, I think that 
somebody else did the killing. I, I feel like there's, you know, a boyfriend or something that was involved in this. And I said, well, I didn't find any information on that. There'll be something I'll do some research on. Diving into the records, David finds a reference to Frank Weedy, a local thug and one-time boyfriend of Tilly Smith. They had been together to the point of where I think he wanted to marry her. And she was like not interested in getting married to him because he really had nothing to offer. She didn't want to be with him. She wanted an education. She wanted to better herself. And she knew she couldn't do that with Frank. He was very controlling. He didn't want her going out in public. Excited to have a name and a possible suspect in the murder of Tilly Smith, Tracy returns to Hackettstown, this time with a special request. I explained that I needed to go where her body laid because I knew that I would experience a lot there and I needed to see a lot more. We went to the actual grave site. She literally laid down on the grave and rested her head on the stone and closed her eyes and she started getting information. That's when I had a conversation with Tilly. I kind of just had a woman to woman talk. I explained to her what we were doing and I apologized for what had happened to her and that it shouldn't have never happened to her. No woman should ever have to go through that. Then Tracy physically and emotionally experiences Tilly's murder. I started getting very, very emotional and my heart really started to pound. Frank grabbed Tilly from behind in the kitchen. She wasn't expecting it and pulled her all the way to the middle of the field and was fighting with her. And they were arguing, saying that you are mine. I don't want you with anyone else. And I don't want you going anywhere. And she was trying to get away and he just put her down. He grabbed the sash off her dress that she had on and then to have the control that he wanted, he took the sash and wrapped it around her neck. And when he put her on the ground, he put her on the ground stomach first and um, raped her. And that's when, that's when she passed. And when he was done, he laughed. He laughed and um, he got up and he didn't know he had killed her at that point. Uh, he thought that she had just passed out. And um, when he finally found out that she had passed, he ran about 20 feet and threw up, threw up by a rock. And um, it was pretty, pretty sad. She didn't deserve it. She was a good person. Tracy literally felt the crime. She is coming apart at the seams and she's crying. She literally felt the rapes. She felt the whole death experience that Tilly Smith endured. To see what it was doing to her emotionally was heartrending. And I couldn't stop her because that was the whole thing. She told me, she says, no matter how bad I get, do not stop me because it'll stop the information. And so, I had to stand there and watch her go through that without being able to intercede. 
to stop it because that's what she wanted. She wanted to experience it. She wanted to feel it. She wanted to go through it. Tracy's encounter with Tilly blows the case wide open by pointing to a new suspect, Frank Weedy. I believe that Frank was jealous. I believe that he didn't want to kill her. I believe he wanted to exert his power over her to dominate her. And in the process of doing that, killed her. And I think he was sorry for it. I think that he had accomplices. I think that there were other people involved, but they weren't the primary killer. They weren't the primary person. There's no record that the police ever interrogated Frank Weedy or considered him a suspect in Tilly's murder. Nobody knows what happened to Frank. Not that I'm aware of. I haven't been told what happened to Frank, but I had had a vision that Frank had committed suicide. David returns to the archives looking for any kind of public notice about a suicide around Hackettstown. He finds one, but the person is unidentified. The initial news report just called it a John Doe suicide. And it didn't really get associated as Frank until a few weeks after that, because someone came in and said, oh, yeah, that's Frank. You know, Frank had literally hung himself outside of town on a tree about two weeks after the murder. He couldn't live with what had happened and ended up committing suicide. Tracy's remarkable connection with Tilly Smith may have solved the mystery of her murder. But then why does Tilly continue to haunt Centenary College over 130 years after her death? I think the only reason Tilly wouldn't want to move on is because Frank didn't get the acknowledgement that he did it. And that's hard. I think Tilly is still angry at Frank and always will. Because what he did is just, it is unforgivable in my eyes. More than a century after her death, it's Tilly who roams the earth, unable to rest until her true killer is named. Perhaps the work done by David and Tracy will finally quiet Tilly's restless, sorrowful spirit. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. He asked me a lot of questions about if I had somebody missing in my family. And I said, yes, I did. I had a sister, you know, missing for 41 years. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mirror Productions and Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. It is executive produced by Terry Dunn-Muir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Christine Lenick, Courtney Ennis, Paige Heimson, and Bill Schultz. The story producer for this episode was Caitlin Cutt, and it was edited by Robert Wise. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil and Andy Jaskowitz. Production support by Sean Cherry, Ian Mont and Ava Fenneberger. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 41 of Unsolved Mysteries.